Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. It's great to see you. I think I'm on. Thank you, Michael. Uh, okay, now let's get something out of the way. I clearly expected to see a little more red in the room today. Have you already forgotten? Waiting on next year. I mean, I'm just thinking, I just, okay, I need to ask you a question. I want to see just a slight reaction from late in the fourth quarter, Damian Williams runs in for a touchdown, and all of you were simply like this, right? You were like... Okay. You all golf clapped it, didn't you? Just... Um, just a little correction here, maybe a slight bit of encouragement. I was singing some songs this morning. We talked about the incredibly amazing thing that Jesus has done for us. Okay, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, the fact that Jesus goes to the cross for us, purchases our pardon, sets us free. Like, there ought to be just a little more in us than that. I'm just saying, because I know I may have launched out of a chair last Sunday. And if you saw the video on Facebook, you saw potentially that it was there, right? So the point is, I published my celebration. I didn't. Somebody in my family did, or multiple people in my family, publishes our celebration of a Super Bowl. I want my worship of Jesus to rival that. Just saying. Just saying. Right? Okay. As we read God's word this morning, I want you to think of those terms. Because there's some powerful stuff that we're going to discover as we walk through this day of creation, day five. Right now, it's, it's, uh, we're continuing a series. It's been good, and I love it. And I'm seeing some parallels between all that God did in creation, what we can apply into our lives today, right? And so, so we're seeing that, and we're saying, okay, Lord, will you teach us today? Now, fair warning. I expect as we see some parallels that there might be a bit of conviction today. It's not personal, but it ought to be personal between you and your king. Because he's going to put your finger, he's going to put his finger on some spots. And my prayer is this morning that you will receive 
his instruction. Okay? Just, just me. Just me talking. No big deal. You know, like, like this whole creation series has been fun. For me, anyway. I, the rest of you, I don't know if you have, but, but I've enjoyed it. I, I've enjoyed reading through the creation account and seeing the parallels between creation and what God is doing in our lives and wants to do in our lives today. And so today we're moving to the fifth day, day five, called it Friday, but who knows? Okay, we're not really worried about that, but we just called it Friday because we, you know, it's the fifth day. Nothing theological about that. Not making so Genesis chapter one, verse twenty says this. Then God said, "Let the water swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind." So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water, and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. As we get to day five, God has created everything necessary for life to exist and flourish. Right? Day one, light and darkness. Day two, the earth and the sky. Day three, water and land organized together, making sure they each goes their own spot. Plants and trees and seeds. Day four, sun, moon, and stars, which created the season. Which brings us to day five. Now, it's sort of funny, right? Because day four, day four is funny in and of itself. Because, you know, in Kansans, we talk about seasons. We can see them all in a day. All four. It doesn't quite work that way, but we can see all four seasons in a day. But those seasons are dependable, repeatable process that God has implemented to make things grow and function, all those things. He's made that. And then day five... Seems like, I mean, just me. This is me. This is all me, okay? This is me just thinking. Day five seems like the day of accessories. I know, I know. Some accessories are very necessary. <laughs> see? I mean, see? There's whole industries built around accessories. <laughs> so we're not diminishing what's happening here, but it's so interesting to me. Now, when we talk about the birds and the fish, creatures of the sea, like, bear with me for just a moment, because I love the background. I love the background because one of the things I love to do when I'm in some really cool places that have crystal clear waters is put my face in the water and see the life that exists. Like, if you've never been snorkeling or you, you've never gotten to do the glass bottom boat or something like that, I mean, okay, I'm not doing that in the Kansas River. Okay? Little bit, you know, muddier. Not able to see a whole lot. And I might come face to face with something I don't want to see, right? I mean, it's just like, yeah, okay. But when you're in the Caribbean... You put your face in the water. You're like, 
Whoa! God is amazing. I mean, look at the creation that's taken place under the... You know, we just look across the water, we just see it, it's glassy, it looks cool, but when you put your face in, all of a sudden, boom, illumination, it's cool. Like, like my first time ever snorkeling was on a missions trip with our students to Honduras, and we're on the island of Roatan, walk off the beach, put a mask on, and put my face in the water, and there is Nemo. It was so cool. And when you get in that and you're in the reef and you're seeing that, you're looking and you're looking at God's creation, you're going, oh my goodness, like God is amazing. But what's the point? What a cool aquarium, right? I mean, it's, you know, why did God create all this? What does it exist for? Why is it there? I realize, you know, some of us like more kind of fish and seafood things than others. Others go, they look good where they are, they can stay there. Right? I don't want to eat that stuff. It's disgusting. Right? I mean, I don't know. There's some that I take, some I don't, you know, whatever. But when you look at it, we look at this day, this day five, and it kind of looks like this day of addition, right? There's this, all these things that are completely necessary. If these things don't get created, not, life is not going to exist. And then we get to day five, and God adds birds and fish, and other things. But to just narrow down birds and fish. I look at that and go, some of you are scientific. You're, you're gonna go, He's an absolute idiot. Why are we here listening? But I mean, when I think about birds, like what's the point? Saw my car the other day. I'm like, that is not the point. Think about birds. What do they do? I had to look it up. <laughs> like, what are they here for? Just to look at them? Shoot a cup out of the sky and eat them? I mean, what are they there for? You a bird conservation, sorry. There are people who shoot them out of the sky. Whatever. Okay, but what do birds do? Birds do things like pollinate plants. They scavenge carcasses. That's kind of gross. They control populations of pest species. I want you to know, the mosquito is not mentioned in creation. Just me. I think the mosquito is part of the fall. I can't picture Adam and Eve in the garden. Just me. These things I think about as I read the scripture. Okay, I'm like, wait a minute. There's no way mosquitoes existed. Just me. Don't base anything theological on it. Just me. But then, birds disperse seeds. They help move things around and and other things that happen with birds they they help with nutrient cycling and they help with soil formation i know it sounds crazy they help with ecosystem engineering i mean birds do some crazy things and i had to look all this up right i don't know this because i know this like i don't know anything about birds i didn't know nothing but also birds that feed on fish 
They end up moving things like nitrogen in one place to another. They, they help do this whole thing with the system. And God is creating this. And he's putting everything together for his ultimate creation day. Look. God could have stopped at this point. He could have stopped. He would have had some cool stuff to look at. I mean, look, fish don't talk back. Birds, they do their thing. They fly in the sky. They hang out. But if God stops at this point, there's no need for Jesus to go to the cross. Right? There's no need for that. There, there's no reason. There's no sin introduced in the world. He could have stopped and had his cool like ecosystem thing just to look at. But he doesn't stop there. Right? He looks at this and he adds in this day and he adds in the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and he looks at it and it's cool. In fact, we see God introduced in the scriptures as Moses is penning it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, a phrase is going to be repeated, but is first introduced right here. Verse 22, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Then God blessed them. He's going to say the same thing about man. He's going to say the same thing about man. Then God blessed them, right? There's a difference between everything that's been created at this point it's all alive. I get it, right? The plants are alive. They're all living. But there's something about all of a sudden the blessing of God and the breath of God that is put into his creation at this point. There's something different about it. And God is adding into his creation things that may not look deeply important, but are very important to the whole scheme of things. God's creation matters. What he's created is provision for the rest of creation. It's provision for how things are going to function. It's provision for what's going on. And here's what God does. He does it in creation. He also does it in you and I. God is providing everything for us that is going to be needed for our lives. He's providing everything the earth is going to need to sustain itself and to function and sustain life. He is doing it all for us. Because he's getting ready for creation of man and woman. He's getting everything ready. And there's some parallels here that I see as God is adding into his creation the things that are needed to get to the point. And the point is he's creating man. As he comes to this whole thing, we'll talk about it next week. Let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. He's getting everything ready. He's adding things in. And I kind of look at day five as a day of addition, a day that God is adding into his creation things that are needed. It brings me to an interesting thought. What does God want to do in us? What does he need to add into us so that we become the people that God wants us to become? Who is it that God is trying to make us into that we can become a reflection of him. What is God adding into our lives? So I want to jump into this parallel, this thought of, of 2 Peter 1, verse 3. By his divine power, 
by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. We'll pause there for just a moment. Because I think it's important for us to understand that all of this is speaking about Jesus' work in our lives. His work in the cross, we've received him by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. What that is talking about is his death on the cross and his resurrection. It's, it's, we've got that and we experience that because of his glory and excellence. And because of that, we have great and precious promises. And enables us to share his divine nature. We don't get divine nature. <laughs> we don't become divine. Let's clarify. But we get to share in his divine nature. We get to share in what he has. He's giving to us. He is adding into our lives the things that we need to escape the world's corruption caused by human design. Do we live in a world that's full of human corruption? Yes. Yes. But God is wanting to help us as followers of Christ to rise above that. Are we ever going to be perfect? No, we're not going to be perfect. But the point is God is trying to help us rise above all the junk that's around us so people see Christ in us. He's trying to get us to a place and work in us so that we become what he wants us and needs us to be in this world. So, so verse 5 goes on and says, in view of all this, in view of all that Christ has done, in, in view of his divine power, in the work he's given us, and everything we need for living a godly life, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, look at the end result. I get it. Super Bowl parade, pretty amazing. I didn't go because I don't like crowds. Okay? Okay, so I, it was cool to see the pictures. I'm good with that. People went there, they made a great picture. I didn't have to be in it. Okay? It's all good. I moved away from the East Coast because, you know, a lot of people and a lot of traffic. So I kind of like it. And from a distance, the parade was amazing. If you went, God bless you. That's an incredible parade. It's a really cool event. But verse 11 says, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A grand entrance. Like, I know we mock people who make grand entrances sometimes, right? But there's no mocking in this one. God wants to give us a grand entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He celebrates us. He, he's, he's thrilled with us entering into his kingdom. He's celebrating. There's celebrations in heaven when people come to repentance, right? That was the purpose of Jesus coming. It's people coming to know Christ. The people, you know, spend an eternity in heaven. So when we look at those things, okay, there's the end result. That's what we're headed for. Now, what are we doing in between it? Right? We, we are part of the creation. We have a responsibility a little bit higher than the animals. We, we'll cover all that later next week. But when you think about it, God has given us everything we need to become spiritually mature. God has given us everything we need as followers of Christ to become spiritually mature. And, and here is the provision of God at work in the lives of people. Just as in creation, God provided everything people would need for life. God prepared the earth for the sixth day of creation with all the things he created in the first five days. And in this case, everything a follower of Jesus needs to live a godly life is available through Christ. The key statement here, and it's a key statement in verse 3, we have received all of this by coming to know him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. When we come to know Christ, everything we need to live a godly life is available to us. It's available. We have an opportunity. Here's the deal, though. Every follower of Christ must actively pursue spiritual maturity. We have to do it. It's an act of our will. God was active in creation. He had a design and knew what it would take for the creation of it and to sustain it. And remember back to day one, first day of creation, God sustains everything by his powerful word. He didn't create and let go. Yet there was a part of creation that God created with laws and rules and, and it operates under his divine direction, but he is the author and the sustainer and the life giver. It's because of his breath and his power that all this still is sustained. Because of him. God also gives us a pattern and a guide to become what he wants us to be as followers of Christ. Ultimately, we are to reflect Christ. And Peter, in these verses, gives us some things that we should be adding into our lives if we're going to live a holy life that is pleasing to God. There's a lot of times in life when we have opportunities to add things. Sometimes it's a new hobby, new opportunity to work. Teenagers, when you're 18 or whatever, boyfriend, girlfriend, because before that, it's just trouble. I'll throw those in once in a while. All right, maybe 16. It's the rule in our house. Some of them are not bad, not good. But they may not be the best thing to add into our life at the time. Right? But I can tell you, that everything that Peter lists in verses 5 through 9 are good and should be worked on to be added into our lives to be more like Jesus. So it says in verse 5, supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence 
and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection, love for everyone. There may not be a significant order here. Like some will say that, you know, you gotta, you gotta have faith and then build and that's the next one. Look, faith is the foundation stone, right? Faith is the important place, right? You have to start with a relationship with Jesus, which is built on faith. Everything of our life has followers of Jesus needs to be built on faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith really matters. So it's, it makes sense that Peter starts there, but the rest in there, I don't know that there's a real, like, it's not as if you're going to be like, okay, I got faith, now let's get moral excellence down, and then let's go to knowledge, and we're going to work on them all at once. And then we have this blessed hope that's found in faith in Christ. But everything about that is... Faith, right? We, we've got to accept by faith that Jesus' death and resurrection have purchased our forgiveness. We may have been made, made right with God. It's on that foundation of faith that every other virtue listed here by Peter is to be added. As followers of Christ, we can't be happy where we are. We must be looking to add into our lives more of these virtues, as Peter instructed his letter. We understand faith, but moral excellence. Think about moral excellence for a moment. In a world with so little moral conviction and willingness to apply rules and laws differently, followers of Christ have an opportunity to live differently and to be an example of moral excellence in our world today. That's what Peter was saying to the people of the first century in the Roman world. And he's saying it to us as well. Look, they, they were in a situation and a time and a space where moral excellence wasn't a virtue. It probably isn't today either. And so as followers of Christ, moral excellence really matters. Because in, in allowing moral excellence to grow in our lives, we show more of who Christ is. I'm not saying we need to like, gloat about it. I'm not saying we need to be like, look at me. I don't think it's a point. People are going to recognize it in you. Right? People are going to see moral excellence in your life, and they're going to respond to that. And on top of that, and with that, add knowledge. Knowledge here isn't about information. It isn't about, like, I need to understand more about the second law of thermodynamics and fission and fusion, and, and i got to figure all these things. No, it's not about that. It's not even about knowledge of the Bible. As facts are involved. It is knowledge about who Christ is. It is knowledge about understanding who God is. It is knowledge of the Bible from a perspective of not to know the trivia, but to know what is going on in the Scriptures, to understand the knowledge, and it most likely refers to the ability to discern God's will and orient one's life in accordance with that will. That's the knowledge we're seeing Peter talk about here. He's wanting people to understand what does it mean for me to know God's will and to live God's will in my life. He goes on then and talks about self-control. For the New Testament writers, 
and the leaders of the early church. Self-control is obviously referred to as a fruit of the Spirit. And it enables believers to avoid falling prey to temptation. And in this case, the reference is probably especially sexual temptation. Self-control. We joke about self-control when it comes to food, right? You know, put a donut in front of me, right? And I'm like, self-control. I'm just saying, my wife pulled donuts out of her purse a minute ago. I'm just saying. Just... She reacted when I said it, and so all of a sudden it hit me, and boom, there it was. I said, the reason why our row is full is because she's got donuts in her purse. You didn't realize if you need a snack during church, it's... He's got, she, pulled do, she pulled donuts holes out of her purse a minute ago. I'm just saying. <laughs> we like our donuts. But that's not what he's talking about here about self-control. He, he's talking about self-control. Because when you think about the first century, I know, I know we think about this, this time frame, we think, oh my goodness, sexual temptation is unavoidable in our world today, which is true. But it was extremely true of the first century as well. Like, I don't suggest you studying the Roman history because it's a mess. But it was a mess. And Peter's writing to a culture that dealt with it. And it was very prevalent. But for the follower of Christ, they need to have the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, and they needed to add into their life self-control from their own work as well. Because on a patient endurance. The New Testament frequently uses this word, these words to describe the follower of Christ's ability to remain steadfast in their faith in times of trial. You can look at Romans 5, you can look at 2 Corinthians 1, you can look at 2 Thessalonians 1, you can look at James 1, you can look at James 5, 1 Peter 1, 6. You see this thought over and over again in the New Testament letters. Trials come in many forms and face believers at every turn. Illness, the desertion of friends, financial pressures, death, you name it, patient endurance is going to be challenged. We need to add into our lives patient endurance as followers of Christ. Godliness. When God gives us the ability to become godly, it is our responsibility to use the power he has made available to us and actually work at becoming people who please God in every phase of our lives. We have to look, work at that. Last two virtues listed there. Brotherly kindness, or brotherly affection. The word in the Greek in that specific location is the word Philadelphia. I'm from that part of the country. It's called the city of brotherly love. Speaking of football or any other sporting event, you go there, 
and you go to a sporting event for the Phillies, the Flyers, uh, 76ers, the Eagles, I don't care which sporting event you go to, wear the other team's jersey, and I'll show you they are not the city of brotherly love. They are nasty people. If you're from Philly, too bad. It's true. You listen to anybody who talks about it. It's true of most other places. It just so happens that their city name means city of brotherly love. <laughs> and they'll tell you that if you're from Philly. <laughs> they aren't necessarily loving people from other parts of the world. <laughs> but they got great cheesesteaks. Whatever. That, that was donuts, cheesecake, cheesesteak, you know, you know, whatever. But as followers of Jesus, we are to add into our lives brotherly affection. This word is one of the Greek words, again, for love. But it would just not look right if we put love and love, right? So that's why they're defining out this whole thing of Philadelphia and saying it's brotherly affection. It, we should, as followers of Christ, have love, especially for our fellow believers. People are part of the family of faith. But we should be known as people who have brotherly kindness and brotherly affection to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. But to everyone, we should not be like Philadelphia fans. We should be better than that. We should show kindness, brotherly affection everyone. And it goes on to the final word, the final virtue in this list, and it is the word love. And this one, we know this one too, because it's that other word, one of the other words for love in the Greek, and it's the agape, and it is love that is unconditional. Right? Is that love that it, it, it's forever. And, and in fact, it's appropriate last, because it's probably the glue that holds all the rest of those together. Right? We need to grow in our love for people. We need, whether they believe like we do, whether they look like we do, whether they act like we do, whether they agree with us or not, our responsibility as Christ followers is to do what Jesus did. The example is what? Jesus on a cross. Right? What do you do for people that didn't love him? He died for them. What are we to do as followers of Jesus? Lay it on our lives for them. Like to lay down our lives, to sacrifice, to, to love people at that level that we're willing to sacrifice us for their benefit so that they can come to know him, to lay down our lives for people. There's a close parallel in Colossians 3.14. It says this, above all, above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Clothe yourselves with love. Sounds like something we get to do and work on. Because most of us did not just get up this morning and walk through the closet and our clothes jumped on us. We actually had to put the clothes on. And the scriptures use that metaphor. Say, so you know what? Put on. 
Clothe yourself with love. I know we would like this just to happen. We would like for us just to be, to be able to go through kind of the automatic car wash thing, right? We would prefer that we could just live life and God through his Holy Spirit would just keep adding and dropping these things into us without us having to do anything because that would be easier. There's a reason why drive throughs work in America. Because that's what we want. We want convenient. We want easy. We don't like this. We'll work hard for paycheck. We'll work hard for the things that we really want. So the scriptures are telling us, you and I need to work on this. We need to work on these things. And as we talk about this, we need to look at them and we need to have this moment of, of reflection and even prayer and say, Lord, what are the spots of these virtues that I'm struggling with? Will you help me? And will you help me navigate this and become more and more like you? And look, here's the deal. This isn't like shopping for a car. Will some of you understand? You go shopping for a car, you're like, you know what? I, I could use this feature. This option would be good. You know, I like the heated seats and the cooled seats. Those would be pretty cool. I can do without the espresso maker in the glove box. Some of you are like, forget the heated seats. If they make that espresso in a glove box, I need that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Options in cars is one thing. This list is not optional. And it's not optional, optional as a follower of Jesus to pursue spiritual maturity. It is an absolute requirement that we must pursue spiritual maturity. You and I have to be striving for spiritual maturity. It is not an option. Peter's words are hard sometimes for us to reconcile with our understanding of salvation being a free gift from God. Right? Salvation is an absolute free gift from God. Nothing we do can can enable us to attain it. We can't become good enough to attain Salvation is a free gift from God. But Peter's words say in verse 10, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. How else explain that? Do these things and you will never fall away. Okay, work hard to prove Work hard not to earn. That isn't the point. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, we want the grand entrance often. We don't always want the hard work. Go back to the sports analogies. Okay? We all want the Super Bowl parade, but we don't want to do the hard work. There's a lot of professional athletes that want the Super Bowl parade, but they don't want to do the hard work, and so they remain at a certain point in their lives, and they never get there. And so when you start to see this, you need to understand, we all need to understand that we are here 
But God wants us over here, and there's some hard work to get there. It's not about salvation, but it is about a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Work hard. It does not take away from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. But Peter says, work hard to prove. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to work hard to prove. And we have to take a look at, at 2 Peter and Ephesians together. And it's salvation is a free gift. But because we have experienced salvation, we are responsible to work hard to look like Jesus and to act like Jesus. There is no excuse because of grace that we should live like the world around us. Because of grace, we should be working to look more and more like Jesus. God has created us to be a reflection of his creative and redemptive work. Let us do all we can to show people who Jesus is and what he can do in people who follow him. So my challenge to you as we finish this morning is this. Look at that list of eight. And look at that list of eight, eight virtues that Peter gives us. Faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. I want you to think about those eight things. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, right in this moment, Lord, which one of these, or which couple of these are you needing me to work on? Where is an example in my life that I've failed you in those things? How can I get better? Lord, what can I do to get better? And if you don't know how to, you need to find somebody who's a, a seasoned follower of Jesus who can kind of speak into your life and go, you, you can confide him and say, look, I'm struggling in this area. Can you help me to overcome this? Can you give me some tools to get me to this place? Because I don't want to stay where I am. I'm tired of where I am. I want to get to a place where I'm more and more like Jesus. And you know what? When you get here, guess what? You're going to go, I'm tired of where I am. I want to get over here because I want to be more and more like Jesus. And when you get here, you're, you're going to want to look more like Jesus. And as you go through life as a follower of Jesus, this process doesn't stop till you take your less breath. When you kick it off and you're done, that's when that process quits. And then there'll be a grand entrance in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. There'll be a welcoming committee into the heaven and there'll be an eternity with him because we've been willing to keep progressing and growing. Oh, could we get in by one just getting escaping the flames? Absolutely we can. But I don't want to do that. How many we want who comes with a grand entrance into the kingdom? I want to be one who comes knowing that I did everything I could to pursue the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. You with me?